Welcome to People's Church Podcast with Pastor Nelson Jones. Living your best response has got to be undergirded by certain things. We're going to talk about that because life comes at us quite surprisingly at times, but also predictable at the same time. The predictions of what life is going to bring to you are often very, very easy to say. You're going to have this happen sometime in your life. You're going to have that happen. And then when it happens, we're surprised. Life is, is a thing that if you don't have your best response already prelaid, you are basically going to become overwhelmed and the pain will tend to be that much more harder to manage and your recovery that much more strenuous. So what I want to talk to you about today is something really, really important, is how do you live your best response to the things that life brings your way? Now, whenever I set a theme or a title, I often find that God puts me through things. Yes, in preparation. So that somehow, you know, it might bless you. Yesterday I had a kind of a strenuous day. It was a busy day, morning, early morning, right through. So I got home as early as I possibly could in the evening. And my whole plan was, I am getting to bed early because I know I had final preps on this message for this morning. So I'm pushing to get to bed early. And I do, I get to bed early. And so I'm in bed at, oh, around 9.30. I'm asleep by 10, which is really amazing. So here I am sleeping at 10, knowing I have to get up extra special early. And then around 10.30 at night, my dog starts barking. We live on an acreage. I think most of you are aware of that. And as he's barking, he usually will do a few barks and then quit and then move on. Not this time. He's barking. He's barking. I yell out, Ranger. Please be quiet. No, I, Ranger, shut up. (laughs) To which he barked harder. He continued to bark. This is not what my dog does. So I'm wondering, what is going on out there? And I'm thinking, oh, we got some deer back in the yard again. They're going to eat everything in the yard. And you know what deer do, right? So I figure, oh, I got to get up. This is going to wake me up big time. I'm going to be, you know, when you're laying there and you're kind of like, I'm just zombie, but do I need to get up? That was where I was. So I get up and I don't know what's going on, but he is not backing off and he's getting more aggressive and he's barking and yipping. So I grab the biggest weapon I can find in the house, which is my granddaughter's little rider BB gun, which is. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's the first BB gun that any kid gets, right? So I grab my, the first big weapon, take out this BB gun. Now just imagine and picture this for a second. Here I am, it's dark out. I have got a, I'm wearing my t-shirt, a night underwear, and sandals. <laughs> Maybe don't picture that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm walking to see what I is out there. And as I move around the house, I'm, I'm following where the dog is. And as I'm starting to get closer, I'm prepared. I'm thinking, I'm just going to give those deer a buzz, you know. It's always fun to do that, by the way, a little bit on the back end with this baby gun. Move them out of the yard. See you later. Bye, Bambi. And uh, so I'm getting there, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, what's there? 
Because deer usually run. I'm thinking, this might be bigger than a deer. So I'm thinking, maybe this is bigger. So I'm moving very cautiously now. And as I get a little closer, all of a sudden, wafting on the evening breeze is a smell I fully recognize. As I get closer, it gets more powerful and potent. And then I know what it is. It's a skunk. He's let loose on my dog. He's let loose in the yard. And I then start moving towards, and then I catch myself, hold it, what are you doing, you idiot? This is a skunk. So I start backing up, very, very, you know, just backing up. Take one little pot shot, what the heck, right? Take a pot shot. I was ready to shoot something, and if it wasn't the skunk, it would be the dog. It don't matter that time, because they both smell the same. So as I'm backing up, I'm going back in there, and I'm thinking, this is nuts. I want to get up early. I got this to do, and then I remember what I'm speaking on today. Living your best response. Living your best response. So my response was to get the dog in the garage, lock him in the garage, so he can't go out and chase you know, the skunk. Give the skunk a chance to go overnight. I go upstairs, Linda's awake. I say, do you smell this? Wafting in our windows all night long. <laughs> skunk smell. If you smell something today, you're not imagining it. This morning, it's still very powerful. I walked into my garage. Whoa. Now, I do want to say to your benefit, if you need a dog for a couple weeks in your yard, I'm willing to loan one. Give you a couple weeks uh, protection. I promise you, nobody will come into your yard. Living your best response is not always easy or predictable with what life is going to bring. I want to start off with talking about the life of Joseph because with Joseph, there is something about this guy that was absolutely amazing in his response to life. I mean, he's one of the guys that it seemed like nothing would go right for him. I mean, it just wasn't going right. Have you ever heard of God in the scriptures giving anybody a job that was just easy? Like, don't worry about it. It's not going to take a lot of time. It's not going to be real difficult. You never actually hear about that in the scriptures. With Noah, he says, hey, I want you to start all civilization over with your family, and I want you to build an ark and survive a flood. But Noah, don't worry. You're not going to be alone. Good news. Good news. Not easy. I will give you a sign of my promise and my presence. Remember what the sign was? A rainbow. A nice rainbow. Abraham, hey Abraham, I have a job for you. I want you to start a whole new people, the people of Israel. Leave everything. And Abraham, don't worry, you're not going to be alone. I'll give you a sign of my promise and my presence. Do you remember what that sign was? Circumcision. Abraham said, Noah got the rainbow. Now, as a man, I deeply appreciate what Abraham was reflecting. No, he didn't say that, okay? Just those of you, he didn't say that. God never gave out easy jobs. He said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the universe, defy him to his face, demand he let my people go. Nehemiah, you need to rebuild a city in the midst of a bunch of enemies. David, 
take on Goliath. Esther, risk your life to change the mind of the king. Joseph, buddy, you're going to prison. You're going to the lowest place I can take you in the known world. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. The ultimate assignment, though, was Jesus on the cross. Over and over again, you find throughout all scripture that God calls his people to unbelievable lives where there's trial, there's adversity, there's pain, there's crises. The natural question that we'd want to ask is why? I mean, why is it so difficult sometimes? Why is there so much crises and adversity? It's all found in him working in your life and your response is an indication of God's work in your life or the need of God's work in your life. You see, I guarantee you, you are going to go through a lot of crises in life. You've still got a road to haul. You've got some things ahead of you that are going to challenge you incredibly. In the life of Joseph, this is a story about a guy who had a whole life. It's full of good news. It's full of bad news. Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. I mean, as soon as he thinks something good is happening, that's, that, that's when he thinks, oh, oh, then something bad has happened, and it does. So he gets something good, then he gets something bad. Good news, bad news. We're told that he's his daddy's favorite to start with. That would be good news. We also read that his brothers hate him and are jealous of him. That would be bad news. We find out he gets a really cool coat from his dad. That would be good news. But his brothers rip it off him, beat him up, and sell him into slavery. That's certainly very bad news. He goes to work for a guy by the name of Potiphar kind of this high-ranking of uh, Egyptian official. And scripture tells us uh, a kind of odd thing that is he's really, really good-looking uh, guy, that Joseph just was a good-looking man. And that would normally be good news, but his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce Joseph, which would be bad news. He resists her. That's good news. But she makes up a story that he raped her and he gets framed and sentenced and thrown into prison, which would be bad news. This is his life. This is the way it goes. It's good news and then it's bad news. It almost, it almost sounds unbelievable except for the fact that you and I have been there. We have ridden this, this, this roller coaster. You've been there. You've gone through the good news that, oh, we're pregnant, and then you've had a miscarriage. You've gone through, you know, the exciting news of a new job, new opportunity, new position, new adventure, and then you find out that all of the math changes three months later. What would you do Here's the question. If you want to live your best response, you've got to answer this question right. What would you do in your life if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? I mean, no doubts. God is with me. We're going through hell. God is with me. What, what would that do for you? You know, as Christ followers in life, when we transition from things going really well and all of a sudden things aren't going so well and it's not turning out the way we want them to turn out, dreams, expectation, marriages, careers, finances, you know, they're going, uh, they aren't going the way that you want them to do. How do you respond to that? The question is, what would we do if we were absolutely confident God was with us? 
Look at Genesis 37.3, and it says this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornamental robe for him. But the second part of it says literally this. But when Joseph had this robe uh, given to him, his brothers uh, saw that the father loved him more than them. They hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Conflict right at the beginning. I mean, it was going to be a life of conflict. That home was filled with conflict. You have an insecure bunch of brothers, a little bit of a cocky younger brother. you got a father who's, who's showing favoritism to one son. So in verse 23, it goes on and it says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And then it goes on and it says about him, that it says that they took him, threw him into a cistern in the ground. It was empty, there's no water in it. That's where, what they did with him. First moment in Joseph's life, probably for him, when he realizes maybe things aren't always gonna go the way that he wants them to go. You might remember that back in your formative years when it woke, kind of like that, woke you up and it said, maybe life isn't going to be so easy. Maybe it's not going to work out the way just I would like it to. Because up to that point, everything had been going great for him. Now he's at the bottom of a well, literally. Why is that happening? I think sometimes we treat life as uh, marionette puppets. We kind of do life that way. We've got a string and it runs to our finances, a string that runs to our marriage, a string that runs to our children. And you think you have all these different strings that you can kind of control, manipulate all these different aspects. You can keep them all dancing at the same time. You can keep them in rhythm. You can keep them functioning. You can keep them doing what they need to do on the stage. That's, I think the greatest illusion that anybody can fall into is the illusion of control. It's an illusion. Now imagine Joseph, he's sitting at the bottom of this pit. He's probably thinking, what? Why me? What did I do to these guys? You've been there. You've been kind of lying there in your bed at night. You're staring up into the darkness. You're saying, God, why me? Why, why my marriage? Why my kid? Why my wife? Why my husband? Why my finances? Why my career? Why the house? Why the business? Why the health? Why are we going through this? And what happens is when life doesn't turn out the way that we want life to turn out, we always make this assumption. And the assumption is, is that God is not with us. When things start to kind of unravel in our life, you start to make this assumption, God's not with me. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. Yet the unbelievable truth all the way through scriptures is that, is that God is most powerfully present when he seems to be most apparently gone or absent. He is there and he's working in your life and, and even if you can't see him, even when you can't feel him, 
In chapter 39, verse 1, it says, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, where I want you to focus today is on that one phrase. He's now in Egypt. He's sold into slavery, but look at the words. The Lord was with Joseph. I thought he got beat up by his brothers. The Lord was with Joseph. I thought he was thrown into a pit. The Lord was with Joseph. Didn't he just have to go into slavery in a foreign country? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with you. And he's with you. Not just when everything is going great. There was a belief that many people buy into. That if the Lord is with you, your parents don't go through divorce. Your kids don't go through this kind of stuff. If the Lord is with you, you don't have to deal with cancer. If the Lord is with you, you don't have to deal with these heartaches in life. You don't go bankrupt. You don't have that kind of issue. If the Lord is with you, this is not in the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture. The Lord was with Joseph, even in the midst of the trials and the crises. You see, your response to shattered dreams matters. It matters to you, it matters to people around you, and especially it matters to God. He was stripped of his coat, but never was he stripped of his identity. Even though life wasn't turning out the way he thought his life was going to turn out, he continued to do what anybody would do that was absolutely confident that God was with him. This is the foundation of great response. How do you respond when these kinds of things come into your life? Are you spinning off worst case scenarios saying God's not with me, he's not here? In the midst of my adversity, in the midst of my shattered dreams, we only have one responsibility, folks. One. And that is to be absolutely confident that God is with you. Verse six, the story continues. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. Potiphar, this guy that bought him. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything that he owns, he's entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Uh, my master has withheld nothing from me except, except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Somehow, this guy... Somehow, this guy with no church, no small group, no Ten Commandments refuses. Who, by the way, in that refusal, could have taken a view of life that, God, what have you done for me lately? Just a real important point in this story is this. Don't ever abandon God the God-given values in pursuit of God-given dreams. Your dreams, no matter how big they are, 
They'll always make a lousy God. In verse 10, the story continues. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hands and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hands and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came to sleep with me, but I screamed. He is framed. He's sentenced to prison for the exact same thing that he had the courage to say no to in the first place. Have you ever had that happen? You did exactly what you felt you should do in a situation. And it still didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. When that is happening in life, we are called to acknowledge that God is with us above all other truths. God is with us. You might be acknowledging that sometimes with great tears. The injustice, the pain, the loss. And as your cheeks run moist with the tears that are coming out of your eyes, those tears with every one of them can affirm, though I am going through this, the Lord is with me. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Verse 22 says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. There it is again. Now, it came to us when he sold as a slave. He's in the bottom of a cistern, a dry well. He is now over in a prison. He has had this up, down, all around, absolutely the lowest point he can go now, and he's in the Egyptian prison, and it says again, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Do you know what Joseph did in prison? He did what anybody would do that was absolutely confident that God was with him. Joseph figured out that his main responsibility was not to try to manipulate the circumstances, but it was that all he needed to do was be absolutely confident that God was with him. So two friends come his way. We go to chapter 40. He makes two friends in prison. One a baker, one a wine tester the, for, the, for Pharaoh. They both have dreams one night. Joseph's able to interpret dreams with the gift of God that he has. He interprets the dream, and we're going to focus just on the one guy, the, uh, the, the, butler, or the butler, you might say, but the wine tester. And it says in 40, 14, when all goes well with you, because he tells them, you're going to be delivered from here in just a couple days. Uh, the baker didn't turn out well. When all goes well, when you get out of prison, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews to here. He is totally in touch with the injustices done to him. 
I have done nothing to be put into this dungeon. And yet he's in touch with it, but he's more in touch with the truth that says that the Lord is with me. Joseph is saying, I've just got one thing. Okay, I've given you an interpretation. You're going to end up back in service to Pharaoh, but just remember me. That's all I want you to do. I did you a favor. I did you a favor. Have you ever played that game with God? I just need this one thing. That's what he was telling this. I just need one thing from you. Done you a favor, just one thing. You just remember me. Just remember me. We do that. We do do this. I just need this one thing, God. Heal our marriage. Just this one thing, God. Make my husband love me like he used to. Just, just this one thing, God. Bring my kid back from the journey that they are taking. Just this one thing, God, can you get us out of this financial mess? Just one thing, God, heal me of the cancer. One thing, God, help me get this job. Just this one thing. There's going to be a lot of times in life that we go to God and, 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 it's, and you're not going to get what you want to get from God. But God will be with you because you will have God himself. And this is the message of Joseph. Joseph had all of these divine demotions and he ends up in a position where he's literally working it a bit with the, with the butler and saying, remember me, I've done you a favor. And this illustrates something to us often is that we try to play God for what we want him to do, manipulate, coerce the circumstances. That is not what God wants you to do. He just wants you to be absolutely confident that he is with you. Verse 23, I didn't put it in the notes there, but the, the chief cupbearer, cup it says, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot Joseph. This guy, Joseph had such a play into his life and he's back in his job and he's just going about his job. His life is back to normal and he forgot Joseph. He didn't plead his case. There's an innocent man, Pharaoh, I met in prison and I know he's innocent. He has this great gift and he really spoke us in, into my situation and, and no, he nothing. He draws a blank. I think sometimes we can be haunted as Christians by the fact that God could have done something in your life, but for whatever reason, he didn't. You see, the fact is, you have to decide whether you're going to put your faith in God's identity or are you going to put your faith and that you get the response you want. Your connection to God's identity must be deeper than your response to your circumstances, than God's response. 
Here's one of the big things that undergirds a great response. You've got to understand that God is a person and he's not a power. He's not, he's not, he's not your higher power. He's a person. The best way to illustrate that is found right in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Personhood. The more that you understand God as your Father, as a person is really the basis of having confidence in he is with you. But then we have to overcome some things about him. If we start calling him our father, we have a lot of images of father that aren't matching up with who God actually is. Because we take the lenses of fathers that we know And it might not be your biological dad. It might be a coach. It might be some other authority figure in your life. It doesn't matter. And you place them in there and you look at Father God through that lens and that's how you interpret who he is. That is not your father in heaven. No matter how good they were or no no matter how far that they missed the, the mark. I think one of the great scriptures on this is found in Luke 23, 44 to 47, right on the cross. Jesus is now about to give up his life, voluntarily. It says, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Absolutely confident. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. So let's finish this off talking about him as our father because you want to be in the place, no matter what storm, no matter what cross you're bearing today, no matter what you have to carry, what wave has come your way in life, that you will respond with this absolute confidence that God is with me so that your response is coming out of his presence and who he is, not out of the circumstances that you are in. That's a roller coaster if you do it that way. First, my father in heaven, he loves you. He loves me. My father, personal, my father. Psalm 103, 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I dare say this should be a subject that, I don't know, should be taught so often because I find this is where many people miss the mark in understanding their walk with the Lord. They don't quite get this deep fact of God's unconditional full love. 
Read the end of Romans 8 and you will find that his, there is nothing that can overcome his love for you. You are absolutely loved. You can't change it. You don't, you don't have the power. He's not on a string in your control to say, don't love me today. His love is consistent and it's constant and he loves you as a father. Not the earthly father's but the perfect heavenly father whose love is unconditional towards you. It's quite an amazing thing to come into that sense of being loved despite the lists of our life. To understand that God's love is still deeper, God's love is still higher, that God's love is still wider than all of our inconsistencies expressed in our great humanity. God loves me. He's my father. Secondly, as a father, he can be trusted. Because right in Jesus' own prayer, he says, my father, I entrust. I trust you. I put into your trust. Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. It is hard to live in that kind of trust because we don't experience that kind of trust in the human relationships. It's a measured world in trusting in this world amongst us and in all of the roles of life. We're going to be let down somehow, somewhere. We are going to do the letting down somehow, somewhere. The fact is, is that trust is not that solid of a commodity in human relationships. It's constantly moving, usually, down. But when it comes to our Father in heaven, it says the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. More or less, if he said it, it is true, absolutely true. And you can trust not just what he says, but what he does, everything he does. So that means Joseph in prison, at the lowest point, when it says the Lord was with him, it's saying God loves him and that he is there for him to have and to speak into a situation and to carry and to meet. And God is not going to abandon him. He hasn't been abandoned. He may be at the lowest point of his life, but he hasn't been abandoned. And then you can also know that this is a father that takes care of things that I can't see. The prayer goes, my father, I entrust my spirit. Job put it really well in Job 23, 9 to 10. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. He's saying, there's some few do, I do nots in here. I, I can't catch a glimpse of him. I don't see him in his work in the north or the south. He's saying, I don't know what he's doing. I don't understand all of God's intentions or plans or actions. I don't don't at all. But here's what I do know. I can trust it even though I don't see him. I can trust him. 
2 Corinthians 4 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Joseph couldn't see that he was going to be raised to be Pharaoh's right-hand ruler over the entire Egyptian empire, which was the one world empire of its day. And there he was going to perform an amazing task of preparation uh, for famine. And he was going to have be, make Egypt a lighthouse to the world. And that was all in God's plan and in all God's intention. He couldn't see this at all. All he could know is that he he says he's with me. He added on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Lastly, about your father in heaven, is he can handle anything that I put into his hands. And Jesus' prayer on the cross finishes off with that phrase into your hands. There is no bigger, stronger hands. The Bible says that, hey, you are in the palm of my hand. Nobody can take you. John 10, nobody can take you out of my hand. Oh, you just want to do an interesting study? Check out the hand of God all through scriptures. Listen to this scripture in 2 Corinthians again. I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. For he can even raise the dead. Where does that leave us? It leaves us with a God who's a real person. Yes. Not just power. We, it leaves us with a Father in heaven who loves us unconditionally, who reaches out to us, who sent his Son to the cross for us, who demonstrated the love in the fullest capacity possible in redeeming us back from the sin and rebellious ways that we had chosen. No matter what we have done in life, no matter where your feet have been, no matter what paths you have trod, it doesn't matter. The love is there. You just have to turn. You just have to receive it. You just have to know he is with you. You can't go anyplace and not find that God is already ahead of you on that journey. He loves you. You can trust him. He's not going to let you down. You don't look through a lens of an earthly experience in any kind of authoritarian roles to understand the fatherhood of God. And that he takes care of the things you can't see. You don't understand. I don't get it. I don't understand. Here was Joseph. I'll just rise to the top. If I'm a slave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really serve hard here. I'm going to carry out the character that God uh, is in my life. I am going to do this uh, confident that God is with me. This is not some aberration in a moment that God has abandoned me. No, I'm going to be a great slave. So then he ends up a great prisoner. 
What another great divine demotion. There he becomes head of the pack again, raised to a place of nurture. But through that place of, of helping out in the prison, he meets two key people. God is just putting what Marcel talked about, the pieces of the puzzle together. And the picture's starting to get a little bit clearer. You, can, I, you and I can look at his story. We can see it. Oh, perfect, perfect. Now he's in the palace. Next step, boom. Throne room. He couldn't see it. But he could know this. God can be trusted. He can take care of things I can't see. And so I'm putting it all in his hands. Because I'm powerless to change this. I tried. The butlers of life will forget you. God will not forget you. He thinks about you constantly. You see, folks, the rainbow was God's way of saying to Noah, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The birth of Isaac was God's way of saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The provision of manna was God's way of saying to the Israelites, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The Jordan River piling up in a heap was God's way of saying to Joshua, Joshua, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The sound of Goliath hitting the ground was God's way of saying to David, David, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The bull being consumed by fire was God's way of saying to Elijah the prophet, Elijah, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The king's decree with the Jews was God's way of saying to Esther, girl, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The completion of the the wall was God's way of saying to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I'm with you. Will you choose to be with me? The birth of Emmanuel, Jesus, was God's way of saying to the world, literally, I am with you. Will you choose to be with me? The cross of Jesus was God's way of saying to the world, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. But will you choose to be with me. James 4, 8 says, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The final condition of our relationship to God, with God, lies in our own choice. But what should undergird that choice is an absolute confidence that God is with you because you cannot deny this fact. It's not going to show up because you get every circumstance the way you want it. But it's going to show up in a response that comes off of faith that says, my father in heaven loves me. He is with me no matter what. He doesn't even know how to spell the word abandon. There is a plan and a purpose in him. 
And when you have that kind of confidence, you are in a place where you can walk with surety the challenges of life as they come. You're going to have to deal with some skunks at times. They're going to come. You're going to have to deal with life as it rolls. But never ever believe that you're alone. You're never alone. So Father, I thank you that no matter what circumstance we're leaving this particular place in today, you are with us and we can be absolutely confident of that whether it be a prison, whether it be a slave, whether it be the rejection in the bottom of a dry well. You are with us. And with that, we end with praise in our hearts and our lips towards you and thank you for who you are because we trust your ID when we don't understand all the actions. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. 